Chapter 13, Decoding Death I was standing behind the bar at the shaft working my shift as usual and in walked Moose, Haha, and Joom. They pulled up their stools and sat, the usual announced Joom. I pour three stiff shots. Where's Hulse? He's usually with you guys I inquired. Halsey went to Disney World answered haha. Disney World? I repeated. Yeah, he took my kids with him. Took both John and Mikey. Went yesterday. Gonna be back on Wednesday replied Joom. I was surprised and curious. Why in Christ's name would Hulse take Joom's kids on a vacation to Disney World? An instant later my question was answered, sort of anyway. He said he had to meet some people there and he might as well take the kids with him. My guys will have a great time. They never been there before so I sure it's gonna be good for them continued Joom. Why didn't you go with them? I asked. He didn't want me to. Said he was the only one who's supposed to go to the meet-in. Besides, I didn't have the cash even if I did want to go. He's paying for the kids so that's all okay by me. There was a momentary silence. Did he say anything about who he was meeting or why? I asked. Didn't say nothing about that but he did say he wanted to talk to you. He said he's gonna call me here at 4 o'clock and I should put you on the phone with him he replied. That was strange. Why would he want to talk with me and why on June's phone? 4 o'clock came and June's phone rang. He handed it to me? Hulse, I said. Yeah, it's me. I'm in Florida he answered. I know. Joom just told me I replied. He continued. Do you have a computer? No I answered. You're living over at Sally's place, right? Yeah. I answered. She got one? He asked. Yeah. Are you any good with the computer? Yeah, used to be pretty good. I thought you would, being smart like you are he said. By the tone of his voice, I knew he was patronizing me. I was anxious to hear what he would say next. Does Sally have email? He continued. Sure I answered. Do you know her email address? Sally said AOL.com I replied. Great. Put June back on the phone. I want to let him talk to his kids for a minute he concluded. I handed the phone to June and he walked over to a quiet corner with the phone held up to his ear. On Wednesday, Hulse returned just like he said he would. Two days later he called a Don meeting. When we arrived at the meeting it was business as usual except for Hulse's speech. It was even more zealous than usual. He began. The defenders of our nation have long talked about the government and how it sucks. How it's fucking all of us and everybody in the whole country. But that's all we been doing, talking. We ain't been doing shit. Well, the time for doing is on us right now. Here's why. We got half the country out of work. Most people are up to their asses in bills. Nobody's kids can go to college without taking a shitload of loans. We got wars that don't want to stop and more coming. All the bankers screwed everybody and then they got paid off. Lots of people lost their houses. Some are even living in their cars. People that's got jobs ain't getting shit for pay. If they try to get a raise, they get shit canned. All the unions are pretty much out of business. They all been squashed by the politicians and if they ain't been squashed they got their balls cut off. You got some retired guys losing their pensions and the politicians are talking about cutting social security besides. 
health benefits for the old people and as for Medicare, they got that in their sights too. Pretty soon they're gonna replace it with a bunch of icebergs like the Eskimos do with their old folks. If we can't get people riled up to join us now, we can't never do it. The time is now. If it doesn't happen now, we may as well just give it all up and quit the bullshit because it will never happen. Am I making sense to ya? Everyone around me nodded without a word of reply. He continued on with the same fervor. You know I was listening to this guy on the radio a time ago and he was talking about 9 to 11. He was saying some stuff that I don't know if it's true, but it sure does make some sense. He says that whole thing was put up to get all these wars going so the big companies that make the war machinery can get a ton of money out of it. He even said that maybe the government was in on it. It kinda made sense to me. After we got buddy-buddy with the Ruskies we didn't have much of a reason to make a lot of bombs and guns. If nobody came up with a new enemy and real soon, what were all those companies gonna do for business? Maybe the answer to that problem was the terrorists? Like all of a sudden, they showed up right after the Cold War stuff stopped. I bet it wasn't five years and there they were. A replacement for the Ruskies right on the doorstep. Makes you wonder, don't it? Again, everyone silently nodded, and he continued. Now, if what this guy on the radio said is true, it looks like the government let in a couple of thousands of our own people being killed to get their way isn't a problem for them. And it worked pretty good for them. They probably said to themselves that helping all the big companies is helping America and so people should sacrifice for the country, whether they want to or not. If it costs a few people their lives, that's the way it's gotta be. How many guys did the government get killed in Vietnam and they didn't think nothing of it? All that bullshit about defending America, they weren't defending shit about America over there and they ain't now. Starting these wars wouldn't be the first time the government got a lot of people killed on purpose. They might just think it's okay to murder a few thousand of us if it's in their plan and it will make their plan work. Let me tell some of things a great patriot of our own age had to say just a few years ago before he was executed. Maybe you heard of him, Tim McVeigh and here's what he said. The crowd cheered at the mention of his name. Hulse continued. Those who betray or subvert the constitution are guilty of sedition and treason, are domestic enemies and should and will be punished accordingly. And here's what he said about our present corrupt government and what it has done to the women and babies of the world. Remember Dresden? How about Hanoi? Tripoli? Baghdad? What about the big ones, Hiroshima and Nagasaki? At these two locations, the US killed at least 150,000 non-combatants, mostly women and children, in the blink of an eye. Thousands more took hours, days, weeks or months to die. Those were the acts of our leaders done in our name which they considered justified and moral. They carried them out without a tinge of remorse or guilt because they thought them necessary to keep power and wealth in the hands of a few. If we seek to overthrow a system capable of these kinds of acts, then it is necessary for us to carry out similar acts to defeat them. I have sworn to defend our nation, just as you have, and I will defend against enemies foreign and those here a home. Those here at home are the government and its kiss-ass, special interests, those who destroy our liberties and God-given rights for their own ends. I will defend our nation because not only did I swear to, but I believe in what it stands for in every bit of my heart, soul and being. I will defend our nation by destroying its corrupt government. I am sorry that people will have to lose their lives but that's the nature of every revolution. 
I understand going in what must happen and sadly will. There was a pause and then he continued. Every country that got a government out of power did it with the people behind them, right? That's right, several shouted in loud agreement. Our job then is to get the people solidly with us. We could never come close to success by ourselves. All of you know of Charles Manson. His plan was to start what he called Helter Skelter, a nationwide race riot to bring down the government letting him become chief after it was over. You know, it didn't work out too good for him. The idea of planning a way to get the whole country involved in overthrowing the government, that part of it was pretty good though. The problem was the plan itself not the idea behind it. We're gonna use the same idea with a different kind of plan. One that's gonna work. Again, there was a silence and he continued. I said once before, the Arab send terrorist martyrs to do their work. We don't have guys that would kill themselves, but we do have guys that are willing to risk their lives to save our nation. Am I right? A resounding yeah, rose in unison from the crowd. I'll be the first guy to step forward. What about you? He shouted. Again, a resounding yeah, spilled forth. All of you step forward with me and wait for my call. Some will then soon be chosen to serve our cause, and with that he left the stage and walked into the cheering crowd. He moved through the gantlet of well-wishers and wended his way to me. He came very close and whispered just above the noise. Come into the house. I want to talk with you. Alone. The members were still in the backyard and the house was vacant. He reached into his pocket, took out a thumb drive and handed it to me. Take this and load it up on the computer. There's information on it about what you should do. Don't let it out of your sight. I'll be coming to the shaft tomorrow and we can talk about what it says. With that he slapped me on the back and went out into the yard with the others. I stood there for a moment staring at the small, black object he had just given me. I slipped it into my pocket and followed him into the yard. I couldn't wait to get home that night. If I could have, I would have left immediately. Moose was my driver and I had no choice but to wait. Finally, I arrived back at Sally's. It was late. I sat at the computer and plugged in the thumb drive and eagerly waited for it to load up. It contained several files, one entitled, info.txt. I opened it immediately and read-click file, ck2rd.exe. I followed the directions and clicked the file. Select BMP it commanded. I didn't know what that meant. I had to talk to Hulse. The next day he came into the shaft. So, did you look at that thing I gave you last night? He asked. I did but I couldn't make much sense out of it I replied. Didn't think you would without the directions. I just wanted to make sure that it worked right in the first place he answered. He then pulled a slip of folded paper from his shirt pocket. I'm coming over to your place after you get done here and we'll work on this together, I'll be over about 7 and with that he left. 7 o'clock came and a sharp knock on the door resounded. Where's Sally and the old lady? He asked as he looked around the room. Went to the city, Pittsburgh. Doc Harmon recommended a specialist for her mom and Sally took her there this morning. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of tests, so they'll probably be staying for a couple of days probably won't be back until Friday or so. I really don't think they can do too much for the old lady, but you can't just let her die without trying to do something. I replied. Too bad. I was kinda looking forward to seeing Sally he replied. You got pretty lucky. I'd give my right not to be bedding down with her. 
I knowed her since high school and never even got a feel. You come into town and all of a sudden, you're in the saddle. That name we gave you, Slick, was really picked right I guess he said wistfully. He walked into the back room where Sally's computer was set up. Open her email he commanded. I reacted immediately. Open that one and he pointed to Disneyland pictures on the screen. The message opened revealing several photographs of him and June's kids at the park. Save them all he commanded as he looked up from the paper slip he was holding. Now open that program off the thing I gave you. I plugged the thumb drive in the computer and opened the ck2rd.exe file. He looked at the note once more and go to the save pictures we just got and open the third one with this program. I hit the browser button and clicked the third picture as he commanded. Decode appeared on the screen. I clicked it. File pisette.txt appeared. Open that he instructed. I did. 0322081923503991192233270171852253250087980076309 What the hell does that mean? I thought out loud. We gotta figure it out he answered. Print it out for me. I hit the print button. He took the copy and went into the kitchen. There he sat at the table with a pencil in hand pouring over the series of seemingly random numbers. He continuously looked at the note he clenched in his left hand as he pondered. Several minutes of silence passed as he struggled to decipher the digits before him. Ah, fuck this man. I can't figure this shit out. I wasn't never that good at math he announced as he got to his feet. Here, you gotta do it he exclaimed and pointed to the papers on the table. I sat and looked at the crumbled note of instructions. Start two-digit number equals offset, out of range equals SB, a greater than 10, digit greater than 10 plus next offset was scrawled on the note. This was as confusing as the number series. Whoever gave you this note, did he say anything about what it meant? I asked. Yeah, he said a lot but a lot of it I didn't really understand that good. I didn't want to act stupid so I just kind of pretended to know what he was talking about. I thought I could figure it out later but I guess I can't he confided. Do you remember anything that he said? He was silent and then spoke. He said all the numbers were letters and they were all moved in the alphabet I remember that he replied. I again looked at the instruction sheet and stared at the numbers. After several attempts, I was finally successful in its decoding. It seemed that the first set of two digits told how far into the alphabet the number series was to start. The offset of this message was 3 meaning that a normal being letter number 1 or 01 would now be 04, B would be 05 and so on. After Z which would be 30, numbers 1 through 10 would be 31 through 40. Plus sign for number larger than 10 would be 41. Any value greater than 41 or less that 03 would be used to separate words, dates, number, and so forth, in other words, delimiters. I said nothing but quietly wrote the translation as I deciphered it. Offset 3, 22 equals S, 08 equals E, 19 equals P, 23 equals T, 50 equals space, 39 equals 9, 91 equals space, 19 equals P, 12 equals I, 23 equals T, 23 equals T, 70 equals space, 17 equals N, 18 equals O, 22 equals S, 51 equals space, 35 equals 5, 90 equals space, 08 equals E. 07 equals D, 98 equals space, 
01 equals space and 63 equals space. There it was, as best I could tell anyway, sept 9 pit and the offset for the next message was 5 and finally at end of message. September 9th, that's tomorrow, I thought to myself. The code was less than elegant but combined with the picture embed, it made the message undetectable. It was a relatively simple but effective way to send clandestine messages. What the message meant however, I had no idea. I handed the paper scrap on which I was working to Hulse. He took one glance at it and looked up with a knowing, pensive stare. You did good slick. And he stuffed the paper into his shirt pocket. Give me the thing too he commanded. I handed the thumb drive to him. He shoved it into his pocket along with the paper scrap and left. I lay awake that night, trying unsuccessfully to decide the meaning of the message. The next morning, I arose in a sleep-deprived stupor and went to work. ESPN blared from the TV behind the bar. Suddenly, it was interrupted with a breaking news alert banner streaming across the screen. The programming switched from college football highlights to a talking head holding a microphone. He excitedly spoke in a frenzied tone. We have just received reports of shootings in several metropolitan areas throughout the country. People have been shot and at least five killed in Cleveland. Two people are known dead in San Francisco and three in Las Vegas. Additional incidents have occurred in Miami, Boston, and Pittsburgh. For Christ's sake, Sally and her mother are in Pittsburgh flashed anxiously through my mind. My attention immediately reverted back to the newscast. The number of dead and injured at these cities has not yet been determined. The identities of any of the perpetrators are unknown and no arrests have been made. Police are scouring the areas at every instance and claim to have obtained no clues or viable information about the persons responsible. We will continue to update you as more information becomes available. The TV switched back to its regular program. I continued to stare at the screen with a vacant gaze. I think I just found out what Hulse's secret message was all about I thought to myself. Putting this newscast together with his speech at the last Don meeting and the decoded computer message left me with little doubt as to what was happening. It was hard to believe that acts of this extreme were actually being carried out and that I had unwittingly become part of it. As I stood pondering, my cell phone rang. It was Sally. My heart sank. I'm okay she immediately reassured me. I just wanted to call and tell you. I knew you would be panicked by the news she continued. You're right, I was I answered. But I've got some bad news too. Mom is in the hospital here. As soon as the specialist here examined her, he sent her right to the hospital. He said we were lucky we made it here in time. He hoped it was in time anyway, he said he couldn't really be sure. She's in the last stages of congestive heart failure and he isn't sure if there is much that can be done but he's going to try. I guess all I can do is hope for the best and stay here with her to see what happens. Well, that certainly was bad news but honestly, I expected it. Fortunately, Sally's bad news was far outweighed by the good news that neither she nor her mom had been victims of the shootings. After my call with Sally, I was eager to talk with Hulse. I was hoping to find out that my suspicions were wrong, but I knew that was unlikely. Still I had to ask. I hesitated for a moment but finally, I couldn't contain myself. I called him. I want to talk to you about what happened last night and today I began. He immediately interrupted me. If you want to talk to me it's gotta be face to face. I'll come and see you after you get off work and he hung up the phone.
At five sharp, he came through the door and sat at the bar. I come for our little talk he started. If we're gonna get into the nitty gritty here we're gonna have ta talk over there in the corner or outside, you pick it he continued. I came around to the other side of the bar and walked over to the table in the empty corner to which he had motioned. What's going on here? I asked. There was no replied. He looked at me with a glassy-eyed gaze. You know what I mean I responded to his blank stare. Then he sighed and spoke. About the incident that just happened? What do you mean incident? Are you calling all those people being shot and killed an incident? I said in a challenging tone. He paused and then continued. That's the word they used at the meet and he answered. And that means what? I pressed. There was more silence. Then, I added with a veiled threat do you know anybody else that could figure out these computer messages for you next time? He thought for a moment. Then he looked straight into my eyes and spoke. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna need you again so I might as well tell you the whole story. I know you wouldn't say nothing to nobody about it cause you're in deep with the rest of us now. And besides that, I'm sure you wouldn't want anybody to find out about that game warden you killed a couple of months ago, would ya? You remember how Moose, Haha and me helped you bury him up at Hillsdale that night, don't ya? He stopped awaiting my reply. Through its intended subtlety, his intent came crystal clear. I guess my jaw dropping open gave me away. I nodded slowly in acknowledgement of his veiled threat. He could go to Hawking's, his uncle and reveal the location of the game warden's burial and then accuse me of the crime. He could surely get Ha Ha and Moose to back him up and then I would be up Shit's Creek without a paddle as the country folks like to say. He then continued. Like I said at our last meeting up at the club, the time is here to start to change things. It could never be better. But like I said too, we gotta get the people on our side. Without them we ain't got a chance. The guys I talked with down in Florida were from a bunch of different Don chapters all over the country. We all met together to talk about a plan that's gonna get pretty much everybody with us when we fight the government and make it right for the people. Now, what do you think is the thing that will get most people to stick together in a fight? A common enemy I replied. Yeah, you're right but what is the most common enemy of all? He asked again. He paused momentarily waiting for my answer. I said nothing. He then answered his own question. Fear. Fear and insecurity. When people are afraid, they'll go to anyone who will offer them protection. If those who are supposed to be protecting them don't or can't, they'll turn on them in a flash. Am I making some sense here? I nodded not only to appease him but because I knew he was right in his thinking. He continued. Now, if the guy in the street, any street, all the time, doesn't feel safe, he's gonna get pissed off at the government for not keeping him safe and right quick too. That's when we'll come in and tell him we're gonna protect him even though the government can't and we're gonna do it as soon as we take over. Get the idea? It's just like selling stuff on TV. First, they tell you that you got a problem and then they sell you the solution to the problem that they made up for you in the first place. It's that simple. And so, the problem you're making up is all these random shootings? That's how you're going to frighten everybody in the first place? I asked. Well here's where it gets kinda messy he began in a slow, deliberate voice. I'm not real happy about this part but that's the way it's gotta be and is gonna be and is already being. The message you got for me said we were supposed to start today in Pittsburgh, and we did. I guess we got Pittsburgh cause it ain't that far away. 
Remember at the meeting, I said I was gonna pick a couple of special guys to save our nation? Well, I got a load of volunteers after that and I picked two. I sent them off to pit as soon as I left your place last night. And? I interjected nervously. Well, in Pittsburgh some people got shot right out of the blue, like you saw on TV today. What time of the day and exactly where I didn't tell them? Could be anywhere anytime. That was up to the guys we sent. Who are the guys? I asked. I can't tell you that, I can't tell nobody. Anyway, they're not the only ones that are doing some shootings. It happened in cities all over the country like you saw. I don't like shootings people for no reason but like I said before, the government don't care about killing people in all these wars they got going. They kill people minding their own business who ain't really got nothing to do with it. They call it collateral damage so I guess we're gonna have to call what we're doing collateral damage too. After this happens a few more times, nobody will leave his house, nobody will go to work, nobody will be seen on the streets, day or night. They'll all be afraid of being shot. Everybody will be shitting in their pants. It won't be long before everything comes to a standstill. The government won't be able to stop it. They won't know when it's gonna happen or who's doing it. Even if they catch a few guys, they don't know anything about anybody else or when it's going to happen again. How can they stop us? They can't. After people get really pissed off at the government for not stopping the whole thing, we'll come out and tell them we can protect them. Then they'll all come over to our side and we'll take over and set things right like they should be. Man, what a crazy, sick plan I thought to myself as I leaned back in my chair trying to absorb the full impact of that which he had just told me. Keep your eye on that computer. I'll be expecting more pictures real soon, maybe in a couple of days. Soon as you get them call me and with that he downed the remaining contents of the shot glass and left. I didn't move a muscle. I just sat there still entranced by the insanity his confession revealed. Breaking news alert, the banner paraded across the TV screen again. Behind it stood the image of a reporter at the scene of the Pittsburgh shootings. As you can see the streets are deserted. No one is leaving his home for fear of another incident like the one yesterday. Police have been going door to door, not only here but in every city that has experienced the recent random shootings. They are trying to find witnesses that may have been present when the incidents occurred. So far, our sources have told us that little information has been discovered. According to police, those questioned, either have no information or are not revealing any because of the fear of possible reprisals. We have however obtained some information from witnesses who will not be identified. Those that were willing to speak with us told of hearing what sounded like car backfires coming from a slow-moving car in the vicinity. The car was described as an older model with dull red paint. A partial license plate number with letters E and T and the number 8 were also described to police. The car was seen to be driving away immediately after the shootings occurred by a lone driver with no passengers. A description of the driver could not be obtained only that he appeared to be wearing a hat. That's all we have for now. We will be back as soon as more information is made available. With that the banner disappeared and the regular programming resumed. I continued to sit and ponder my unwitting involvement. Could I really continue to go along with this madness? Should I call the police in spite of Hulse's threats? I knew that the Dons were a wild bunch of zealots, but I honestly didn't fully anticipate this level of craziness. I viewed their constant rantings as simply voracious rhetoric. I always thought of it as just dramatic fantasy and wishful thinking. 
I never believed it could lead to this kind of horror. I was left with a sickening feeling in the pit of my stomach. How would I escape its grasp? The thought plagued me. Should I go to the police? If I did what would happen to me? What would happen to Sally, Richie's kid and her mother? Maybe I should just continue on and hopefully not become more involved? To do so was a coward's choice but it was the one I would probably make. I remained seated there with those agonizing questions spinning through my mind and with no definite answers. I left the shaft for home that night with my mind still racing. When I entered the house, I went directly to the computer and snapped it on. A little ding accompanied by a pop-up told me mail was waiting. I hesitated, hoping that it wasn't more Disney World pictures. I clicked on the mail icon and there it was before me Disney World pictures. I opened the email. It contained five new pictures from Hulse's trip. Without the thumb drive I had no way to decode them, but I was sure of what they contained, places and dates, plans for another incident. Just when I thought that maybe, just maybe, I could erase the torment from my mind for a minute or two, here it was again staring back at me from the computer screen. I had to do something. I couldn't just call Hulse and allow myself to decode a plan for more murder once again. I knew what I couldn't do but I was no further in answering the question of what I should do. Suddenly, my cell phone rang. I answered it to hear Sally's voice straining through her sobs. Mom's gone she began. She died an hour ago at the hospital. I was there just before. I knew when I left that she probably would. She wasn't conscious, and she was taking deep, slow breaths, like she was coming up for air from under deep water. Jesus, I'm sorry Sally I replied. Well, I knew this was going to happen. Doc Harmon kind of told me that it would when he suggested I take her here. I suppose he just wanted to make sure that I would give it the best possible shot, even though he knew it probably wouldn't help. When you come right down to it, I probably brought mom here for my own sake, so I wouldn't have to chide myself for not having to try harder to save her. This way I can at least tell myself that I did all that I could she sobbed. You did. Yes, you did, I said sympathetically. There was a brief silence. I couldn't decide how to say what I was about to say, especially now, but I had to do it. I swallowed hard and said it as convincingly as I knew how. Sally, I know this is certainly not the right time, but I have no choice. I've got a serious problem and the safety of you and your boy is involved. When I explain it all to you, you'll understand I'm sure. What are you talking about? She answered soberly. I'm talking about you trusting me. Your life depends on it I replied in an equally sober tone. I can't tell you all the details here on the phone. I just want you to do what I tell you. Do you trust me? A silence. If what you've told me so far is true, I guess I have no choice but to trust you she stammered. I'm leaving Cannonsboro and some people here aren't going to like that. I know too much and what I know is not good. If they found out I was planning to leave, I would be dead right now. If you come back here, I'm sure they will try to use you to get me to come back once they discover that I'm gone. If that were to happen, I would have no choice but to return and like I said, I wouldn't survive, and neither would you. My life and your life and the boy's life all depend on you not coming back here. There was silence and then she spoke. What am I to do then? She asked with a quivering voice. And what about mom and a funeral? I stopped and thought. I'm not being call us, but your mom really had no friends left. 
She outlived them all. You told me that she didn't even leave the house for years. So, who would the funeral be for? Not for her, for you. If you can accept not having a funeral, I don't think your mother would quibble, do you? Again, quiet, and then she replied hesitantly. If it meant our safety, I guess not. I will give you the number of a close friend. His name is George Damis. He will make sure that mom's body is taken care of properly and with utmost respect and dignity. I recited the number. I want you and the boy to go to Easton, it's on the other side of the state. Find a motel, check in and call me when you get there. Go as soon as you can. Remember, I love you and I will see you soon. I hung up the phone and began to search the house deciding what I should take with me. I moved as fast as I could. There was no time to waste. I carried several arm loads to the car and packed it all tightly in the trunk and back seat. Just as I finished rounding up the last few items, I heard the sound of a car pulling into the driveway beside my car. I immediately recognized it from its low-pitched rumble. It was haha. I looked out of the front window and saw Hulse get out of the passenger's seat and walk towards the front door. I opened the door before he even knocked. How come you didn't call me, were his first words. What do you mean? I asked. I got a message that my vacation pictures were sent. Didn't I tell you to call me as soon as you got them? He replied. I didn't even look at the computer yet I lied. Well, let's look at it now he said as he pulled the thumb drive from his pocket. We started towards the computer and suddenly he stopped. He pointed to the suitcase on the bed in the corner. You going on a trip? No I replied. You sure? I kinda thought I saw a pile of shit in the backseat of your car when we pulled in. Looked like a lot of clothes hanging he snapped back sarcastically. Got a flashlight? I went into the kitchen and brought the light to him. Let's go out and see if I need some eye doctor and then he nudged me in front of him as he went to the driveway. He shone the light into the car and scanned back and forth across the clothes in the backseat. Guess my eyes is okay after all he said slyly. You was planning on leaving our happy little home here, huh? I told you before, Sally's in Pittsburgh with her mother and she's got to stay there for a while. She called me and asked me to bring some of her stuff because she was going to stay longer than she thought. Her mom's in the hospital and she doesn't know how long she's going to be there. When she first went, she thought it was only for a couple of days but now it looks like it's going to be a lot longer. I was packing up the car to take it to her tomorrow I lied once again, convincingly as I could. Looks like an awful lot of shit for staying just a few days more he replied with raised eyebrows. Hey, you know women. Whenever you go anywhere, you take a gym bag and they take two suitcases. I'm just doing what I'm told, I answered. He paused. Yes so he replied skeptically. He walked around Haha's car to the driver's side. I followed. Wait here, I'll be a while he commanded Haha. What am I supposed to do exclaimed Haha. I don't give a shit. Listen to the radio. Jerk off. Who cares? Just wait. Haha said nothing but merely rolled the window back up. As I stood, I took more careful notice of the car. It was fully illuminated by the floodlight coming from over the garage door. It was red, masked with a heavy layer of road dust making it appear dull red. Let's go in and take care of this computer stuff he said and started ahead of me towards the door of the house. 
I turned to follow him and saw the license plate as we rounded the rear of the car, V357. I looked more carefully and saw a piece of black electrician's tape hanging from the bottom of the plate and another piece on the deck lid, partially covering a half-dollar-sized hole on its rear-facing surface. Now, for that instant it all came together. They had used the tape to make the F into an E, the I into a T and the 3 into an 8. That was why the letters were misidentified by the witnesses and the color was described as a dull red because of the dust. We entered the house and I plugged in the thumb drive. Then I did the decoding as Hulse watched. This time, the city name came out as Harrisburg and the day, tomorrow. I handed the paper to him and he again crammed it into him shirt pocket along with the thumb drive and started towards the door. He stopped at the room entrance and turned to me. You know Slick, I'm starting to feel bad about leaving you out of all the action. I'm gonna bring you along tomorrow with me and June when we go to Harrisburg he said with a sly grin. Upon hearing him, I immediately realized that my excuses about bringing clothes for Sally and her mother to Pittsburgh were not as convincing as I had hoped. Evidently, his suspicions remained, and he wanted to determine my loyalty by bringing me along on the next murderous mission. I told you, I have to take this stuff to Sally tomorrow, I replied. Well, I kinda think she can live without it for a day more. Call her and tell her you're gonna be a day late. We're gonna be leaving early tomorrow, around 6. I want you to be up, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I don't want to come by here tomorrow and find you still sleeping he answered. Then, he stopped and turned to me. You know what, I'm gonna call up Joom and get him to stay here with you tonight so that you're sure to get up on time. I know you got a little extra space now that Sally and the old lady aren't here he added. I hesitated and gave him a questioning look. Listen, if you don't have enough room, I'm pretty sure Joom wouldn't mind sleeping on the sofa. Give him a couple of beers and he would sleep on your back steps, if you know what I mean he concluded as he took out his phone and called Joom. I nodded contritely, and he made the call. Half an hour later, another car pulled in directly behind mine. It made loud scrapping noise as its muffler dragged across the cement apron of the driveway. Joom parked the car and came in carrying a six-pack. We both greeted him and within minutes Hulse left. Sleep tight boys. See ya when the sun comes up he shouted as he slid into the passenger seat of Haha's car. It was a hard night. June did sleep or should I say passed out on the sofa. I tossed and turned all night knowing full well what awaited me. There was no way to escape. I couldn't even sneak out with June lying semi-conscious in the living room. He had blocked me in, bumper to bumper and his keys remained securely in his pants pocket. I'd have to go with the flow and hope for the best. What else could I do? I had no choice. The sun streamed in through the window and over my face. I glanced at the clock, 5.30. I got up and walked into the living room. So much for June making sure that I was awake. There he was still lying, fully clothed, in the very same pose as the night before, almost as if he was a statue. I woke him, and I got dressed. Hulse and Haha pulled into the driveway at six sharp and tooted the horn. We left the house and walked over to Hulse who was standing next to Joom's car. Did you fix the trunk like I said he asked Joom. Yeah came the reply and Joom motioned toward the rear of the car. All three of us went to the back of the vehicle and Joom pointed to a hole in the deck lid. It was the same as the one I had seen in Haha's trunk lid. Okay, let's tape up the plates and get out of here. 
he pulled a roll of black vinyl tape from his pocket and began altering the letters and numbers on the license plate. When he was finished, he and I got into the car with Doom driving and left for Harrisburg. It was about a two-hour ride, but it felt like an eternity. As the miles ticked by, Hulse spewed volumes of non-stop rhetorical bullshit trying to pump us up and himself I'm sure, for the task ahead. Joom said little in response. I nodded occasionally trying to indicate that I was giving him my full attention during his continued tirades. Finally, the sign appeared in the distance, downtown Harrisburg with an arrow pointing to the next exit ramp. We drove to the center of town and parked in a far isolated corner of a mall parking lot. Now, Slick we're gonna give you a chance to show your stuff, Hulse announced. We slid out of the car and walked to the back. He motioned for Joom to pop the trunk. It was empty, well almost empty. Lying by the right fender well was a rifle with a sawed-off stock. Savage 99, don't make em anymore. One hell of a gun. It was a shame to cut it down like that but you gotta do what you gotta do. Couldn't really handle it too good all cramped up in the trunk like that with the whole stock still on it. The way it is now, no problem. You'll see what I mean he said as he pointed to it. Then he lowered the deck lid a bit and pointed to the hole in the rear face of the lid. Here's the spot you'll be shooting zone out of. It don't look too big on this side but once you're in there, it's big enough to stick the gun through and still see real good. Ever shot clay pigeons? Skeets? I nodded. Did you like it? He continued. I nodded soberly. Well, you're gonna like this even better than cause here the pigeons don't move. It'll be like shooting's cans off a fence post. You ain't scared of tight places are ya? He asked with a faint smile. Sure, you aren't he answered his own question before I could say a word. Joom, he really wanted to do this last time, but we couldn't fit him in the trunk. He looked me up and down and continued. You, you're no problem. Perfect size. Here's the way we're gonna do this. You're gonna get in there and then we're going down that street over there and he pointed over towards a group of people who were sitting at sidewalk tables in front of a restaurant. I could barely read the sign in the distance, but it looked like bistro something or other. Who are they? I asked. How the fuck do I know? All I know is you're gonna pick some of them off. Joom's gonna drive us down the street real slow and just when we get past him, I'll give you the signal and you pop them. Joom tells me that you're a pretty good shot so you should be able to get at least a couple of them. Soon as that happens, we're out of here. What's the signal? I stammered. I'm gonna turn up the radio real loud for a couple of seconds. Let's get this over with and get the hell out of here. Get in. He took a miniature flashlight from his pocket, checked to make sure it was working and handed it to me. Here you gotta see what you're doing in there he said and held the trunk lid open a bit wider for me to get in. I climbed in. The lid slammed shut. I could hear him getting into the car and the engine starting. A loud rumble came up from the floor of the trunk as the unsecured muffler and tailpipe of Joom's car banged against it. We began to move. I peered through the hole in the trunk lid to see the parked cars pass by in front of it as we left the lot. Jesus Christ I thought to myself. What will I do now? I can't just shoot these people. I can't just murder them in cold blood like that. It's like a nightmare. The only thing that told me that it wasn't was that I could never imagine a nightmare so terrifying. I was sure that if I didn't shoot, the bullets left unfired by me, would be for me in the end. Maybe I could shoot and be sure to miss. 
would that work, or would I wind up in the woods, behind the farmhouse or maybe side by side with my friend the game warden? As the car moved incessantly forward, the moment of my fateful decision rapidly approached. Suddenly, my concentration was interrupted by the overwhelming smell of exhaust fumes leaking into my tiny enclosure. I turned on the flashlight Hulse had given me and strafed its beam over the floor of the trunk. Over on my right side I saw a rusted hole about the size of a half dollar. I could see the pavement flashing by under it as we rode. At every little bump, the ruptured muffler swayed past its opening and the intensity of the fumes became stronger. I felt myself taking shorter and shorter breaths. My head started spin and I felt a throbbing headache. I felt nausea and weakness. Bad luck? Predestination? Fate? Bad karma? God's will? My own fault? My own poor choices? Foolish vengefulness? All of this flooded my memory. I tried to press my nose up to the hole in the deck lid hoping for a gasp of fresh air. It worked, and I felt revived for an instant at least. Then I heard the radio begin to blare. That was the signal. I looked out through the hole once again. I started to raise the muzzle of the rifle towards it. I carefully sighted one of the people sitting in front of the restaurant. She was a pretty young woman, about thirty or so wearing a bright red dress. Two or three seconds passed. I held the rifle firmly and steadied my aim. The radio continued to blast its signal for me to shoot. Then, I slowly lowered the gun and slumped away from the opening and towards the rear of the trunk. I just couldn't do it in spite of knowing the consequences of my failure to act. Suddenly a loud voice screamed over the sound of the blaring radio. It was Hulse. We went right past them all and I never even heard a shot. I didn't see nobody getting hit or nobody even running. That motherfucker never even took a shot. I should have known he wasn't up to it. We come all the way out here and he didn't do shit. He's gonna pay the motherfucking price. Pull down this street and let me take care of this right now. Moose where's that gun you got? He yelled. A second later he shouted. I found it. Here it is under the seat. I rapidly flashed the light over the interior of the trunk looking for an emergency escape latch. When I found it the handle had been removed leaving only the protruding shaft. Without the handle it couldn't be turned. I was entombed. Then, suddenly I spied it. The black plastic rear seat fold down release handle was just above my left shoulder. I reached for it just as I felt the car speed up and swerve around a right hand turn. I slid to one side of the trunk. I pushed myself away from the trunk wall and regained my position. Then I slowly pulled the release and with my other hand carefully cracked open the fold-down seat. I peered through the slit to see Hulse turned in the passenger's seat, looking out of the back window of the car. I could see the top of his forehead jutting above the seat headrest. He held a gun pointed towards the trunk. I squeezed the barrel of my rifle through the narrow opening and pulled the trigger. The bullet's impact sent him flying back from his seat and against the dash. Blood instantaneously sprayed over the windshield and side window. Moose's startled, panic-filled cry echoed through the car and I again felt it swerve abruptly. Hulse! Jesus Christ! He screamed at the top of his voice. I pushed the fold-down seat section fully forward, aimed the rifle at the back of his head and again pulled the trigger. The scene repeated itself with blood and tissue covering the entire front portion of the car. The car continued to swerve and gyrate even more than before. 
after several seconds its collision with the wall of an old factory building brought it to a sudden halt. I felt myself thrown against the forward wall of the trunk. The engine had stopped running and the wheels were no longer turning but the radio continued to spew its cacophony. I crawled out through the opening from the trunk and into the back seat. I opened the back door of the car. I was about to leave when I decided to take the wallets of the two men. I knew finding them with no identification would make it more difficult to trace anything back to me. The less they had to go on the better it would be for me. Besides, I could use the money. I pushed Moose forward and pulled his wallet from his back pocket. Hulse was already bent forward so I merely plucked it from him. Again, as I was about to leave the car it occurred to me that their cell phones too would give the police a lot of information. I reached into the front pockets of each one and took their phones. I stuffed their wallets and phones into my bulging pockets and ran from the scene. I ran several blocks making several turns as I did so as to help cover any trail I might have left. Finally, I spied a public telephone sign in front of a small, neighborhood candy store. I called Sally. I gave her a little explanation of my circumstance and the events surrounding it. That could all be saved for later when she came to pick me up. She said she would leave immediately and after an hour or so there she was. I got into the car with the radio playing. Now in a development regarding the recent nationwide outbreak of random shootings which have kept millions of Americans off the streets, seeking the relative safety of their homes. Police have reported finding a crashed vehicle on Beach Street in South Harrisburg. Two unidentified men have been found in the car. Both appear to have been shot to death. From evidence found at the scene, it appears that they may have been involved with the rash of random shootings that have occurred over the past few months. No other information is currently available. More details will be reported when they become available the announcer concluded. I looked at Sally and she looked at me. I took the wallets from my pockets and pulled the money from each. I then took the phones from my pockets too. Sally again glanced over at me but said nothing. I rolled the car window down and began to toss each of the items into the roadside brush as we rode past. As I threw the last one, she again turned to me. I smiled. Every moment of our lives is a collision of the past and the future. Our best moments are yet to come because we have the future together I said softly. A broad smile spread over her face. She said nothing but simply pressed down harder on the gas pedal and accelerated us into that future. The End